Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. Today is part three of the movement series. It's part 3B. To recap real quick, part one, we talked about why, really the value in exercise. Why would we be interested in having a dedicated practice? Part two was the what, like what is movement? What does that mean? How does the ideas of movement relate to the human body? Part three, we get into the how. So 3A, just talked briefly about tools that are available that are common to use to reach whatever physical or fitness goals. I didn't go over all the tools. It's it's an infinite spectrum, but just picked a handful of commonly used ones. And in part 3B here, I want to get into a little bit more of how to apply these concepts into a program. So I want to talk about like a zoomed out approach of how can you organize your schedule uh, typically on a weekly basis, but there's Definitely variability there and a room for uh, play as far as how big of a, a time frame you're looking at when you are comprising a program. But I'm going to work with more basic structures of programs that I find are somewhat comprehensive and somewhat sustainable. In general, there's a bit of a trade-off where if something very simple and focused, the improvements can be very dramatic over a short period of time. And also you might give up a little bit of the sustainability of the program, whereas the other end of the spectrum would be something more comprehensive, which typically refers to like the number of patterns and qualities that are practiced, where it might be harder to progress quickly in any one pattern or quality, but Overall, the program is more sustainable. It could You could progress steady for a longer period of time, sometimes your whole life. I mentioned in the first 
part of this is that I use a scaffolding in my mind that runs like an algorithm where I'm basically putting these concepts together, the why, the what, and the how. Meaning, on this given day, I want to be put some intention into what I'm doing by having the context of why I'm doing it. Meaning, let's say I, I understand my why, I understand where I'm going, I understand what qualities that I value as far as what my body can do for me down the road and what am I doing like what quality am I working on and through what pattern and then that will dictate the how so that will kind of dictate what's the best tool that I could use today given my current reality the current condition I'm in what's the best tool that allows me to cultivate the quality that I'm working on through the pattern that I'm working on, given that long-term goal in mind. That algorithm is something that I could always like fall back on. Um, and sometimes you'll go off course. Like sometimes you'll make a decision where you feel like uh, you're off course, meaning the thing that you did no longer serves the long-term goal. And sometimes that's good. Like sometimes I'll do that intentionally. For those that train regularly, there's a little room for error, whereas like if you're on vacation or something, intentionally go off program, maybe intentionally just have fun or not think about it. But to get back on track, you could always fall back on this algorithm of, OK, I know why I do this. I know what I'm working on now and let that dictate what tool you should use and how you should use it. And hopefully, as you practice, all the intention of the why will be built in to the how you're doing it in that moment. So when you're actually in an activity, you're doing a set of exercise, you are literally in the middle of a set of five or 10 reps of something, that you have that intention, the intention of why you're doing it. And that is transformative. That allows you not only get more out of the actual activity, but it allows you to cultivate a beautiful relationship with the process. If I know why I'm doing something, I can express that in every aspect of an activity. Think of just a set of squats. It's the difference of wandering into position, your mind is elsewhere, a weight's in your hand, you're not paying attention, you're going through motions, as opposed to, I know exactly why I'm getting this weight off the shelf. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to set my feet. I'm going to set my stance. I'm going to set my intention. I'm going to connect with my breath. I'm going to go inward to my body. I'm going to pick up the weight now. And I'm going to express every moment of every rep of my set with all the intention of why I showed up today. And you get a lot more out of it. You get a lot more of the mental benefits I find, I feel like you get more out of tapping into the potential of what cultivating that relationship with yourself in a gym or whether it's in your home gym or your local gym, you get more out of that relationship, which could then translate to other relationships in your life, whether they're with other people or your environment, your sense of self-worth, how you create a hierarchy of priorities in your life, whether it be managing the pie chart made up of, you know, family, fun, work, spirituality, whatever you put in your pie chart, whatever the things are that you feel make up your life that you value. 
So that's a little recap, just bringing the why, the what and the how together into an algorithm, knowing that we have a bunch of tools to choose and then we could get into an actual activity. And that algorithm will dictate how we do that activity. And there's a little bit of a spectrum there. For instance, let's say you're training uh, strength as a focus a couple days a week and you're on one of those days and let's say just pick a pattern let's say you're training your squat pattern so based on whatever current situation you're dealing with like what limitations your body might have through that pattern maybe where you are in the big picture of any kind of cycle whether you're in more of a uh, growing cycle or more of like if you're in more anabolic cycle, if you're in a more catabolic cycle, it will dictate maybe what tool is best for you to use. Meaning you can squat with a lot of tools. Like you can squat with rubber bands. You can squat with just body weight. You could squat with a, a couple dumbbells, a kettlebell, two kettlebells, a barbell. You could squat with the barbell in the front of your body. You could squat with the barbell in the back of your body. So there's a spectrum, and I would put that on a spectrum of usually of simplicity and complexity within the activity. For instance, you could take the same pattern like squat, and based on what tool you choose and how you hold it, where that the mass of the tool relates to your center mass will dictate how simple or complex that version is. For instance, when many people think of squatting, they think of a barbell back squat. Let's say you've played, maybe you're 40 or 50 years old, and you remember playing sports in high school, and every time you guys were in the gym with your team, like everybody barbell back squatted. And that can be fine, and it's a tremendous tool, as I mentioned in the previous episode. And also, that's not the simplest squat for many people. So in general, like with a squat, the farther the load is towards your backside, the more challenging it is to have your best expression of a squat. Oftentimes, we teach someone to squat with what we call a goblet squat, which is nice because it allows you to use a light load, and it's very effective, but more importantly, it allows you to usually express the best squat you can do because the weight acts as a counterbalance because where the weight is relative to your base of support. So that's an important thing. Now, in some activities, there's not a lot to work with on that spectrum of uh, simplicity or complexity, but it's really useful to have in mind, especially when you're dealing with the general population where everybody moves a little different. Everybody has their own kind of limitations. Rarely do I come across somebody that just moves in this spectacular fashion. They have immense capacity. You could throw any version of any activity at them and they could just do it well. Usually we have to figure out what works best for us at the time. And then as you practice, you'll progress. For instance, with that example of squatting, somebody that's new coming off the couch you know, maybe they haven't really exercised for a decade or two. You know, we're going to spend probably a couple of weeks just getting familiar with the body, doing some body weight squats and then doing a light goblet squat to allow them to have the benefits of that counterbalance while still adding a little bit of load to the squat to get a little bit more mechanical stress, to get a little bit more adaptation, to build a little bit more strength and or muscle. And then maybe after several months, slowly move the weight 
backwards. So as you go from a goblet squat to, let's say, a kettlebell front squat to a barbell front squat to a back squat, you're taking on more complexity. You're giving your body ability to do more work and get uh, you know, very useful benefits from, but you have to kind of adapt with it. You have to kind of go slow and let your body adapt so that you can still express a squat where you're not compromising competency in exchange for the strength gains that you're looking for. That's an important concept. Unfortunately, sometimes that's really hard to do on your own. I know that myself, even I feel like I'm fairly experienced uh, in the gym. And a lot of lately, the last few years, I've been doing a lot of coaching of myself, which is definitely not the best strategy. So sometimes I might not be able to see and I don't feel like videotaping all sides of my body while I exercise and analyzing it. It's like I nerd out enough. I don't want to get into that, but I don't have the second set of eyes to say, hey, you're shifting over here a little bit. You might want to uh, change, get a simpler tool. So it can be useful to have a coach help you out, put some eyes on you and see, is this really the best tool for you to be using given what you're trying to work on, given your current situation? All right, so let's zoom out and look at the, um, a program example. The, the big thing that I find drives how you construct a program is how much time are you willing to dedicate over the course of, let's say, a week? I usually will start people with a, a program where they're looking at it from a one-week perspective. I find like that is something that people could just relate to. And when you're trying to work something in your schedule, in general, people's schedule is pretty similar throughout from week to week. So it's easiest I find to, uh, to use a week. Now, I'm going to start off by you know, giving an example where if somebody has an hour, about one hour, three times a week. So it's three hours a week, but it's over the course of three sessions. So even changing the number of sessions without the total time, I would probably change what I do. If you were to do a half hour six times a week, I would treat that differently than, uh, than one hour three times a week. Now, I'm also going to factor in other things that we might not consider activity, but I'll to for this example, we'll pretend there isn't any of that, meaning no evening walks, um, no playing sports with your kids on the weekend. So let's just keep it simple as if you have three hours spread out over three one-hour sessions and you have really nothing else. So you have to get all the physical activity that you're looking for in that time frame. Now, one thing that stands out with this situation, which I do find is common situation, is there are qualities around training endurance that become, that you really become limited when you have an hour three times a week. And it's not that training uh, like, low level, let's say zone two uh, cardio isn't important. I just don't think it's as important as some of the other qualities we mentioned, especially strength and competency. When you're looking at the long-term benefits as far as keeping your quality of life high, staying out of a nursing home, I find the value over getting strength and competency work is so much greater that if I only have three hours a week, I can't really dedicate any. It doesn't mean 
that's the way it's going to be 12 months a year. But I would say eight of those 12 months, if you're only doing an hour three times a week, eight of those months, I probably wouldn't do any low-level cardiovascular work. And that could be a shock for some people, but I just don't think the benefit that it gives justifies allocating the time, partly because it just takes more time. So if you're training that quality and you have an hour, your whole hour is mostly going to be dedicated to that, which means there's an opportunity cost of what you're not doing, what you're not practicing. And those things are going to be generally more important, like strength. So that example, three times a week, one hour each time, I'm going to look at that as the most important quality to work on that takes the most time is going to be strength. So out of the 60-minute session, probably 35 to 40 minutes of that is going to be the strength section. And part of that is because when you're training strength, there's a lot of downtime. Now, I really like making good use of that downtime so that it's kind of like an active recovery. Not active meaning you're keeping your heart up and you're doing more work, but active like doing things that nourish the body and get you better at practicing the strength exercises you're doing. So those would lump in that, that quality of competency. So if you do a hard set where strength is the focus, even though the set might only be 20 seconds long, you might need two or three minutes of recovery before you're ready to do an, another useful set where strength is the focus, regardless of whether you're doing the same exercise or another if you're doing some kind of strength circuit. So in those few minutes, those are great opportunities to do things that are either self-care, like recovery-based, whether it's more soft tissue work or whether it's working your nervous system and working on your breath or corrective exercises, things that are related to the exercises that you're doing that day that are more geared towards getting you better at them so that when you go to express it in a more stressful situation with a more significant load, you're increasing your chance to perform high, you're decreasing your chance to get hurt during the session. And I find that's a really useful strategy. So 60 minutes, figure 35 to 40 minutes there is going to be doing the strength exercises. Usually I'm looking at three to four strength exercises per session if I have that amount of time. And I'll talk about how to divvy those up. Now, to set the stage for that, I feel like you have to warm up a little bit. Now, I find that using competency work is really useful for your warm-up because it's really two birds and one stone. You're literally warming your body up. You're literally increasing your temperature. You're getting more of your blood flow to go towards your skeletal muscle ready to do work. And also, simultaneously, you're nourishing the bottom of that, that, that foundation of your program, which is competency. Remember, the, the broader that base of competency, the more strength, power you could put on top of that through whatever skill or activity that you're practicing. So the first 10, 15 minutes, I would recommend warming up through something that is nourishing those five foundational patterns. Now, there are some 
kind of hybrid adult version of patterns that are also useful sometimes, but to get some variation of those five patterns where that's an area that you could just never do too much of. You could never overdo it. You're never going to get beat up and need a lot of recovery from doing more competency work. Um, so I find that going through things that resemble that developmental sequence that represent the rolling and the crawling and the walking and the hinging and the squatting is a fantastic way to prepare for more strenuous activity because when you're done 10 to 15 minutes of that, not only you warmed up, but you're kind of dialed in as far as how well you're controlling your body in space, which is important when you're about to put a bunch of weight and mechanical stress on your spine and your limbs and such. So let's say 10 to 15 minutes of warm up. And for some people, you know, uh, if you don't have, let's say, floor space, it, it could be going outside and just walking. It could be walk jogging. It could be walking on a treadmill up a hill. It could be something that's still, uh, you know, very useful. That's not as elaborate where you're not going through all the patterns. But in my ideal scenario, you're starting on the floor and you're going through some variation of rolling, crawling, walking, hinging, squatting. Now, there's a lot of ways to break down the components in those. So there's really an infinite spectrum of variations and support that you can give with other tools along the way. But just having a little bit of ground, a little bit of space to get on the floor and go through that developmental sequence, very useful. Once you're warmed up and you're getting into that strength section, I do recommend generally the first set of your strength exercises to be some something to bridge the gap from training competency to strength. So you're not necessarily pushing yourself very hard. You're almost warming up the strength exercise, whatever that pattern is, and you're just putting on a little bit of load on the body to kind of get familiar. And it's also like checking in, like this is a good time to say, well, how do I feel? How does this warm up set of squats feel? Does this feel like this is going to be a day to push myself because I feel great and I want to ride that wave? Or is this a day that my body might feel a little under recovered? Is this a day that, oh, that stressful argument yesterday I had with the family members is still kind of taking a toll on me maybe, or the lack of sleep I got two and three nights ago? Are they manifesting in this weight feeling heavier than I expected? Is this a signal that I should dial it back a little bit today? So that first round is a real good opportunity to just do some listening. How does your body feel? And just checking in. After those, you've eaten up the vast majority of that hour. 10 to 15 minutes plus 35 to 40. There's not a lot of time left. And that's okay. Now, when there's five or 10 minutes left, I find that the best two qualities to work there would either be some higher output cardiovascular work, like a short session of more higher intensity cardiovascular work, where you're taking, where you're trying to fit the loads and the tools you're using to train that quality, where you could do maybe a lot of work for 10 to 30 seconds with about the same rest. And there's a lot of variations of how to manipulate the ratio of your work to your rest during that session. But there's a, a lot of room to play around there and explore. The other useful way to use that five or 10 minutes, especially if you're under muscled, 
which I would say the vast majority of the general population are, are to get a little bit muscle stimulus. You're, you're trying to grow muscle. You're training the quality of hypertrophy. And whereas when you're training strength in general, and there's some overlap here, but in general, the weight is a little heavier and the reps are a little lower. And when you have five or 10 minutes left, you've done your hard work. The things that are neurologically demanding, you've, you've done through that strength workout. And now you can dial the loads back a little bit, maybe take some variations of the lifts you were already doing or support some different patterns and work in a rep range that's more inclined to stimulate muscle growth. So that might look like in the strength section, let's say you have three or four strength exercises. Let's say you're doing three or four rounds of, of them. And let's say the rep ranges are somewhere between three reps and eight reps. And then with five or 10 minutes left, you're picking two or three exercises and you're making your rep range somewhere in the like eight to 20 rep range. So the loads are generally lighter. You could do more of them. It's not really hard until the last couple reps where you just kind of have to squeeze them out and you're working as hard as you can where you're not compromising the quality, the competency. You're not jeopardizing getting hurt over it, but you're working to the point where you start to slow down. Let's say you're doing that last push up and you've lost a little speed. Like there's a little bit of decay in which the rate that you could push that floor away. And that's where you know you've worked close enough to failure where you're likely to get that signal that we're looking for to build some muscle. In that example, three days a week, one hour each time, we didn't really do any power development. As I said, we didn't do any like low intensity cardiovascular work, endurance work. It doesn't mean you never do those. You could look at these as cycles, for instance, in that example where I saved five to 10 minutes for that hypertrophy, maybe several months a year, you're taking that same five to 10 minutes and using that for power development and giving up the benefits of the hypertrophy and just making that trade here and there. What I don't like compromising so much is the strength component. Unless you feel like you have more strength than necessary for your goals in life, then I don't like giving up that. I feel like that is just generally the most important quality to be nourishing because it has the most carryover to all other aspects of our physical well-being. So, um, and it doesn't mean you can never give it up, but especially for someone that's relatively new to training, I would just really prioritize the strength. So I'm just not uh, quick to give that up. Now, if you have other activities that have a strength component, let's say you take a yoga class and you're skilled enough to really get some strength value out of it, uh, you know, that could be factored in and that might make your gym sessions a little bit different and you're more willing to give up strength here and there to work some other qualities. But in that scenario, one hour, three times a week, you're warming up for a little bit. As you warm up, you're working your competency work. Once you're all warmed up, you're spending about a half hour to 40 minutes doing three or four strength exercises. And then when you have a little bit of time left, 
you're doing a little bit of muscle building work. And on a day that you don't feel up for that, you could just as easily drop off that last section, get on a foam roller and do more recovery work. I mean, you do have freedom along the way. Now in that example, let's talk about the strength exercises. So let's say you do have three training sessions a week. We'll call them A, B, and C. What I will generally do if someone has, let's say, uh, room for three to four different exercises where they are going to have the time to get three, four, maybe five rounds in of a strength circuit, and it doesn't have to be a circuit. A circuit just means, let's say you're doing three exercises. Let's say you're doing squats, pull-ups, and push-ups. You could go squat, pull-up, push-up, squat, pull-up, push-up, around in a circle like that. It's called a circuit. Some people like to take their most strenuous lift and do all those first. That's fine. This is would be considered in general called a full body split, something that at least resembles a full body split. There are other kind of ways to look at um, how to compile the strength exercises. The bodybuilding world uh, will generally use some different methods, whether it's push-pull legs or upper-lower splits. I find personally just for the mental joy of it, I don't know. I just like kind of working my whole body every time. I just like working it in different ways from day to day. So if I've worked something hard yesterday, I don't want to be working the same things hard today, generally. So day A, B, C. One example would be, so if I think about those five foundational patterns, the big ones that are going to be represented in our strength activities are going to be the standing patterns, walking, squatting, and hinging. Now keep in mind, I look at pushing and pulling as not patterns, but activities, and within them is a gait pattern. So there's different ways to express this. So I do like to incorporate pushing and pulling, but I look at all these activities basically coming from one of those three patterns. So for instance, on your A day, let's use that example. Let's say we are squatting. You could use squatting as Obviously, it's one of the foundational patterns as it is, but we're changing the focus of what quality we're cultivating through that pattern as strength. Now, for a pull, let's use pull-up. So you can do pull-ups for your second activity. That might be an example. For those out there listening and say, well, I can't do pull-ups. That's okay. The key is, is to look at what the activity is, and let's say the activity is pull-up and you can't do pull-up. The algorithm would say, well, what is a pull-up? Where does that come from? And how, what's an appropriate way that I could train the concepts within that? So for some people, working a pull-up might look way more remedial than whatever idea you have in your mind when you hear the word pull-up. And let's say for a pushing activity, let's say we do a push-up. Okay. So on a day, and this is just an example, we might squat pull-up, and push-up. Now, on the B day, well, actually, I'm going to go to C first and work back. So the other, I like to separate, in general, my squatting and my hinging because I find that those are the most neurologically demanding lifts. Those are the lifts that allow you to bear the most load on your body, and I find they require the most recovery because of, so, because of that. They are stressful. Remember, that stress is what we want. That stress is what leads to the adaptation that we're desiring. And typically, the strength 
exercise for hinging is deadlifting. For those unfamiliar, deadlift just refers to dead weight on the ground. It's just picking up dead weight on the ground, picking up a weight. You could use a different tool. Generally, this is done with a barbell, but for beginners, I usually use simpler tools that just make it a little easier to learn. So the deadlift is generally the primary strength lift to practice that hinge pattern. Uh, there's variations of deadlifts. I'm not going to get into that today, but when I do videos where I go through each pattern and how to apply a strength quality to them, and I'll give an example of that spectrum of simplicity and complexity uh, based on you know what tools available and what tools are best to practice that quality through that pattern. Um, I'll, I'll get into that, but for now, let's just say deadlift. We probably want to, I like to do a pull and a push every day, generally, um, sometimes more. Again, it all kind of depends on how much time you're willing to allocate. Now, pull-ups are tough to progress with when you're only doing them once a week. You can, but in this scenario, if somebody's relatively new and they're going to be training three times a week and I want to do a pull each day, I'm more likely to put a pull-up twice. Now, I might do different variations of them. I might load them differently, but let's just put pull-up on that C-Day too. And then for the pushing exercise for the C-Day, let's say we'll do an overhead press. So in this example, I'm doing uh, just three exercises on each of the A-Day and the C-Day. Now, one of the reasons on the days that I'm squatting or deadlifting, I'm more likely to do fewer exercises is because those squats and deadlifts, not only are they demanding, they require usually more recovery after the set, so it takes a little bit more time than certain other exercises. Also, I find it useful to be able to have kind of an extra set in there. So I like to kind of warm up the pattern with a light weight, but then I'll also maybe do what I would consider like a gap bridger, meaning if I plan on, let's say I was going to deadlift uh, 225 pounds a day. And that was what I was going for for my uh, work sets. And let's say my plan was to do three work sets. I might warm up with the bar and just, um, you know, it's 130. You know, when I say the bar, I mean like one wheel, 45 pounds on each side. So it's 135. I might do a set of 135. It's a very lightweight for me, but it's just kind of feeling it out. Like, how's my body feeling today? But before I, I probably won't go from 135 to 225, I probably add one little set in between and maybe it's 185 just because those weights are kind of common that you would use for that. Just throw a 25 on each side. Now, because of that, it just takes up more time. You got to squeeze that what I consider gap bridger set where you're bridging the gap to your work sets. So on those days, less likely to do more exercises because that you're, you have to allocate time for those extra sets. And then on the B day, let's look at the gait pattern a little differently. So there's a lot of ways to train the gait pattern with a strength focus. One could be a carry. And that might look like uh, carrying weight as you walk around. And then one might be one of these kind of variations of gait patterning where they're not foundational patterns, but they're super useful kind of adult version. So I consider that whether it's lunging or split squats, where you're in a split stance, which kind of represents gait, where we're extending one leg and flexing the other, or a single leg version of the squat, 
for the deadlift. So taking your squat pattern or taking your hinge pattern and doing it on one leg, that might be something I would do on the B day. Um, those are generally a little bit more technical. They're more complex. When you take one leg off the ground, the information that hits your body in the frontal and transverse plane, think of that as the the side side plane and the twisty plane, there it's it's a much bigger hit of information. It's way more challenging to control your body against forces in those planes when you have one leg that's not on the ground. But those are all options for that B day. So in this case, we'll keep it simple and I'll say carry cuz carrying is really just walking around. And most adults are very familiar with that pattern. So there's not a lot of thinkery needed um, to practice. You don't need to have a whole lot of control of your body. Now, granted, if you carry more than you can carry well, you might have issues um, arise if you don't control it well. But it's easy to control. It's I don't say it's easy. It's generally easier to control a reasonable load in your hands walking around than it is changing your levels through either the squat pattern or the hinge pattern. So like a single leg deadlift or a single leg squat, you're generally not gonna be able to do as much load as if you could just carry around. So carry is kind of a safer play, especially for a beginner here. And then you still could put a pull and a push. Now, because on the A day and the C day, we're doing pull-ups. And even if they're different versions of pull-ups, think of those as vertical pulls. So on this B day, I would put in a more horizontal pull. So maybe some form of a row, a horizontal pull. And then for the push, we have some options here. We've already got push-ups on the A day. And we got overhead presses on the C day. So on the B day, we could do a different push. Maybe we could do a progression towards a handstand push-up. Maybe we can do a dip. Maybe we can push a heavy sled. There's some options. For considering uh, this is, let's say, for a, um, a general beginner, this could be like a, a press where you're on a bench, like a dumbbell bench press or a barbell bench press. Let's put, we'll meet in the middle. So on A day, we're pushing horizontally. On C day, we're pushing vertically overhead. We could push on an angle just for the example. So let's call this an incline bench press, an incline dumbbell bench press on the B day. And what that does is it just gives you three presses a week at three different trajectories. It gives you three pulls a week at two different trajectories, and it gives you a a loaded squat, a loaded hinge, and a loaded gait pattern. That's an example of how to comprise the meat and potato section of the program, the strength section. So that 35 to 40 minutes, that bulk of the hour is used on these things. And as I said, during strength, you need rest. So in real application, when after you do a set of squats and you have two or three minutes to rest and you're going to do pull-ups next, that's a good time to get on the ground and do something at a, that's very primitive, something very low level that is either good for uh, supporting the pull-up you're about to do or could even be to reset to make up for any compensatory strategies that you just expressed through the squat.
So let's say you did a set of six squats and they were heavy and the last one you felt your weight shifting a little round. You know, you might want to get down on the ground and do some very easy rocking and quadrupeds, something that's nourishing, that's still relevant to the squatting, that's almost like a resetting of the pattern. Like, can I erase the, the little negative part I did while doing all the positive work uh, throughout that last set? So there's a lot of ways to look at that in-between time to get good use of that recovery. If someone was going to work out four times a week for two hours, there's a lot more freedom with that. But in this example, I really want to make use of those times between the sets. So that's an example. Um, so you have the warm up going through the developmental sequence, the strength section. And then in this case that I mentioned, let's say we did a little hypertrophy. So you got five or 10 minutes left over. Maybe you take two exercises, like for instance, uh, on the A day where we have squats, pull-ups and push-ups. For those last few minutes, you might take a squat weight that's significantly less than what you were squatting for strength, maybe make an adjustment so it's a variation somehow, maybe in your stance, maybe in which tool you're using, and do a bigger set, you know, maybe a set of 12. And you could take that same approach for one or two of the other exercises. So with the pull-up, let's say you're doing pull-ups and you're getting three pull-ups on the bar for your strength section. Maybe on the muscle section, you put a rubber band over that bar so you can knock out and do some assisted pull-ups where you can knock out a set of seven or eight and pad your, pad your numbers, pad the amount of volume you're getting total in that session to get greater stimulus, more bang for your buck as far as how much muscle can I build with the time that I'm allocating? And then the same thing with the push-up. Let's say for your strength sections, you're doing push-ups and you're getting sets of eight reps of you know regular on the floor push-ups, for instance. Well, maybe you could finish with a couple sets of assisted push-ups where you could do more of them to just get a bigger set and maybe get in that 15, 20 rep range. And that's what that whole program would essentially look like. And that's a program you could run for a while. And you could keep that template and every few months just swap out the activities too. Meaning if you're, you could swap the push up for a different press, for a bench press, for a dip, for an overhead press, for, you know, whatever. You could just plug them. But I generally will have the staple patterns in there somewhere. So some version of a squat, some version of a gate pattern, whether it's a carry a split squat, whether the foot's elevated on your split squat, whether you're um, doing more of a hinge pattern on one leg, and then a, a pure hinge pattern, two legs in the form of a deadlift. Okay, so that's one example. Let me give you a different example of someone that does more things. So if you are doing other things, let's say you practice yoga and you go to a yoga class three times a week. And yoga for you feels like pretty good strength work. And yoga varies quite a bit. So some people think of yoga as like uh, not really a strength activity, but it absolutely can be. There's a lot of varieties of how yoga classes are instructed. So let's say you're taking a yoga class three times a week and you prioritize it. 
so that you're fresh when you're there so that you can push yourself and you could get those strength benefits. And you're looking to add a couple days a week of activity where you don't want it to interfere with yoga, but more importantly, you want to practice the things that you're not getting from your yoga class. That might look a little different. I would still prioritize strength to some extent in that situation, but you might not need as many patterns. But that is an opportunity where dedicate more of the time. Let's say you're going to train an hour twice a week to complement your three yoga days a week. I might look at that as an opportunity to work a little bit more of the cardiovascular side or power development. You're not going to get power development in a yoga class. So it might look something like warm up through that developmental sequence, do some power development. So you could take the same patterns to choose from squat, gait, and hinge and apply exercises that have a power component to it. There's a velocity to them. There's an acceleration. And then you could add maybe a little high intensity cardiovascular work. So that might look something like 15 to minutes of warming up, working competency. Let's say you have 30 minutes of power work. Power also is gonna require a good amount of time in between. So that might look like picking a few exercises that are explosive in nature over the course of a half hour, getting five to 10 sets in them, lots of recovery time, Again, opportunities to get down on the ground, nourish, get on a foam roller, connect with your breath, corrective exercises, more advanced versions of those developmental sequence, more advanced versions of rolling patterns, crawling patterns, anything to support you generally before you get into your specific exercise. The tool that I really like for power work, uh, probably the best is the kettlebell because it allows most people to train that quality very productively in a fairly safe manner. So maybe you're getting a couple kettlebell exercises and you're doing some small explosive sets of them with ample rest in between. And then with 15 minutes left over, you could do a little bit more high intensity cardiovascular work, whether that could be with the kettlebells, that could be with machines. If you have access to cardiovascular machines, those could be useful other toys. It could be jump rope. It could be swinging a mace. It could be um, dancing. It could be all kinds of things. But that's an example where you look at what your hobby is, which represents, you know, living. You know, a lot of people, they go to yoga. It's like, uh, you know, that's life. They're not necessarily going there just to exercise. They're going there because it's nourishing in so many ways. It's like, that's the way you like to be. You like to live your life. You're the type of person that likes to go to yoga class. And you recognize that it can't offer you everything and you're willing to invest a little bit more time throughout the week and you want to make good use of it. You want to say, well, objectively, what am I getting out of yoga? What am I missing out from only doing yoga? And then how do I apply those things I'm missing into, let's say, the gym environment? I'll finish with what I'm currently doing. Now, what I'm doing um, might sound a bit much for many people. And I do change it a little bit here and there throughout the year. I do swap in uh, occasionally a little bit more cardiovascular work. I would say 
eight months of the year, I don't do a lot of cardiovascular work. And then probably a f- three or four months a year, I try to do a little bit more cardiovascular work. I like to break up my movement sessions. So I like to not do it all in one dose in the day. I need more. I just, I just like it. So in general, um, I'm doing a ex- uh, workout session in the morning. I still am looking for other opportunities in the day to get some low level of activity. So I try to get at least one 20 minute walk in every day, sometimes two, even though that's the gait pattern, hard pressed to say that I'm really training any quality. When I do that, I would say it's more mental. It's more just alone time being in nature, maybe listening to a podcast, listening to a book, connecting with myself, clearing my head. I would say it's a version of meditation, if anything. I like to do something every day. My program is anchored by my two, really three strength days. So I still have an A day and a B day and a C day. So right now, for instance, my Tuesday is my A, my Thursday is my B, and my Saturday is my C. Those, the A day and the C day are the ones that are the most demanding. So those are the ones that I really focus on making sure I'm recovered for and I have time to recover after. I even adjust my nutrition around those days for that workload, which I'll get into maybe another day. So on Tuesday, my A day, I am training my squat. I'm training my pull up and I'm training my overhead press. I'm also adding a little bit of hypertrophy work on that day. Um, I'm using that to work out some muscular imbalances. I find that in general, in exercise, it's often as you train, you get some muscular imbalances around the shoulder. There's some neglected areas like the posterior side of the shoulder. There's some different areas that um, are common to have some gaps. But my primary lifts on that day are squatting, pull-ups and overhead press. And these are generally my heavy pull-ups. So they're body weight or heavier for me. I'm also doing the deadlifting on the C day like in the previous example. I'm also doing some kind of vertical pull or pull-up, but I'm usually doing some different configurations with my hands and I'm doing different loads. So I'm doing generally a little bit lighter. So I'm doing bigger sets. So my sets of pull-ups on my A day might be in the three to six rep range, and on my C day, more like eight to 12 rep range. My primary press on that C day is a dip right now, and I will also do some pressing on an incline. I look at dips as kind of a decline press, and I also do an incline press. On the B day, I look at that more as the day that I'm working gait, and I'm working things that introduce more lateral and rotational movements. So right now I'm generally doing some version of split squatting. I'm doing my horizontal rows, horizontal pull. So think of rowing, I'll do different variations and my horizontal press right now I'm doing bench pressing and then I'll do a little bit of hypertrophy work where I'm doing a lighter press. I'm doing some dumbbell presses to finish off with some bigger sets. So my same idea, bench pressing, you know, sets of three to eight ish, and dumbbell presses when I'm done somewhere in the six to 12 rep range. 
Okay, so those are my anchors. Now, on those days, I'm at the gym like two hours. I know everybody doesn't have two hours, but I do. So I want to just give an example of if you do have a lot of time, this is just one way you could configure stuff. So I'm spending a lot of time warming up, and I'm spending a lot of time on these strength sections. I'm spending a lot of time doing restorative work in between, and I'm getting not just 5 to 10 minutes, but probably 20 to 30 minutes of hypertrophy work towards the end of those sessions. And I'm still maybe adding five minutes of high intensity cardiovascular when I'm done. So these are big days. I get to eat a lot of food these days. I really enjoy it. Now I try to go into these days, especially the A day and the C day as well rested as possible. So Monday before that hard eight day is a light day. Generally I'm doing a lot of competency work on Monday where I'm on the ground for like an hour doing feel-good stuff, corrective exercises, lots of variations of the developmental sequence, the stuff that you'll see me do in my short movement videos a lot. I just do a lot of that stuff. I'll use whatever tools I have, whether they're rubber bands or head weights or ankle weights to support it and make little progressions. I also might take a yoga class on Monday. I'll do both. I'll spend maybe 45 minutes warming up in my basement gym doing all kinds of feel good nourishing stuff then go take a yoga class then get in the sauna so i'm doing a lot of movement but none of it's really that strenuous so that when i go into my a day on the next day i'm i'm ready to do heavy work now wednesday in between my two of my three strength days i'm having a little bit more fun i might do more a little bit more play, more likely to work out outside in the sun that day. Might play around with tools. I mentioned using the mace that I don't use it often, but I use it sometimes. I do find it playful. I might play with the mace. I might do some kind of combination of a little bit of low-level cardiovascular work, a little high-intensity cardiovascular work, working in a little play, a little fun, might have more uplifting music, not lifting, not listening to a podcast, but just kind of getting carrying away with some good tunes, tunes that motivate me, make me smile, make me happy. Might do some fun body weight stuff. If I'm working on like handstands or funky body weight activities, I might work some of that in. And then Friday, again, between my two strength days and Saturday is the day I do the most work. So Friday, I take it pretty light. I'm actually recording this on a Friday. And just an example, I got on a treadmill and I just walked uphill while I listened to a podcast for about 30 minutes. And then for 15 minutes, I basically jogged up the hill and uh, turned into a little bit of a zone two workout. And then I got in the sauna and I did a lot of stretching. So that's a very easy day where it doesn't detract at all. I don't feel like it requires any recovery. In fact, I feel like it speeds up my recovery from the previous day to better prepare me for my next hard day. So that's six of the seven days kind of worked out there. I mentioned the sauna. I do try to get in the sauna a few days a week. I know some people treat that as exercise. I really don't, but I do like to put that at the end of my cardiovascular days just to extend a little elevated heart rate along with all the other benefits. And I like to stretch. I I have found a way over the years of practice stretching my sauna, I figured out like every stretch that I can do in this small funky space on this bench inside of my, it says a two person sauna, but if, you, if you're my size, it's a one person sauna, basically. I will usually also do a little breath work and a little meditation in there. 
and I love stretching. I feel like the older I get, the more I enjoy stretching. So usually at night, I'm also doing some stretching. So think about that. Hitting the gym, hour to two hours, almost every day. Still getting in a, a walk usually after my first meal, maybe a walk before or after my dinner. And then at night, I'm still winding down a little bit. I might be multitasking. I might be listening to something. I might be watching TV with Sarah. But I'm on the floor going through some stretches as I do it. You know, that's something that I feel a lot of people have opportunity for them that they don't take advantage of. If you have a routine of just like you need to veg out at night, you need to turn it off, you work hard, and you do a little Netflix binging with your partner or your friend or whatever, that's a great opportunity. Just get on the floor. Get on the floor while you're watching TV, even if it's just during commercials. I don't know if anybody really has to deal with commercials anymore, but, you know, taking that opportunity to put one knee down on a pillow on the floor with your foot up on the couch and stretching your hip flexor instead of sitting on the couch while you're still enjoying your show with your significant other or partner or whatever. So there's opportunities to sprinkle more movement in our life if we're open-minded to it, we're aware, and we're, and we're looking. In my house, we have tools on every floor of the house. So it is very common to see me or my daughter before dinner on the kitchen floor rolling around and practicing some activity. It's very common for me to practice exercises that require no equipment while I'm cooking. I find that, you know, even if I'm at the grill and I have to turn the meat every couple minutes or whatever, in between turns, I might be doing some one-leg uh, squats or one le single-leg deadlifts or one-arm push-up work um, on my back patio next to the grill or just like not standing around or staring at my phone, you know, just having fun with this life thing. All right, so there's one day I didn't get to, and that is Sunday. And I'll finish up just saying on Sunday, I keep, usually keep it pretty open. So that could be a yoga class. That could be a lot of walking. It could be a little bit of competency work. But what it's most likely to be is tasks. So when I say tasks for me, if you've seen any of my videos, uh, they're generally taken out in my backyard. We live and we have a, we have a property that requires some work. So I look at the things that support the property as tasks that are physically demanding. So I enjoy doing the landscaping work or chopping wood, um, working in my in the woods, building things like uh, things that you wouldn't necessarily treat as exercise, but they are like they're moving. There's a hill in my backyard. If I have to chop wood like right now, I'm working on a tree that's at the bottom of the hill. So not only am I chopping the wood, but I have to wheelbarrow it up to where I stack the wood. It's not nothing like it's not really demanding for me, but uh, it's work. I try not to overdo it. Like if I'm not careful, I could overdo that stuff. But I look at Sunday as a day to try to be out in nature, outside doing gardening related things, outdoor activities, landscaping work. And if I don't have those tasks that are needed, it might be a lot of walking. So I might take a longer than typical walk instead of 20 minutes. Maybe I go the long way. I go 40 minutes. Maybe I meet up a friend for hiking in the state park nearby, things like that. So very active lifestyle. Uh, I, f I feel like I need it. I feel like it really helps me mentally, emotionally. 
that's an example of someone <clears throat> that's basically willing to do about two hours a day every day. Now, I'm not focusing on every quality there, but I'm getting them all in. And then throughout the year, periodically, I will <clears throat> make small adjustments where the secondary and tertiary qualities, I'm getting a little more focus on different ones. But I'm never really giving up the competency work and the strength work because, as I said, I feel like that offers the most value over the long, over the long run. Um, that was a lot. Now, I understand if some of this doesn't make sense, if you're really not used to exercising, some of this might sound silly, even if you've already heard all the episodes leading up to this episode. In future episodes, what I'd like to do is switch to video format and go into some examples. I want to knock out some of the primary strength lifts that I feel like have the most to offer the general population and give examples of how to use different tools to train them, how to make adjustments on that scale of simplicity and complexity, how to regress them, how to progress them, um, so hopefully uh, you'll find that useful. If there's anything that you heard today that you want me to dive deeper on particular, then please get in touch. Go to the website and uh, send a message through, I guess, the Contact Us form, and I will do my best. I want to thank everybody again for tuning in today. I know it's it's a lot to listen to all this movement stuff. Most people aren't as nerdy about movement as I am, and I'm not saying my way is the best way. I'm saying it's a way that's worked for me and my clients for a long time and it might work for you if you like this if this sounds like something you want to apply to your life and you want guidance on that remember i do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching when i that my style of coaching granted we talk about nutrition we talk about stress management we take a holistic approach on managing your lifestyle habits so they most support what your goals are. The movement is a big part of it because the benefit, it's like if there was a pill that you could take that did all the things exercise did, everybody would take it. It'd be the best pill of all time. Exercise is just so profound in its benefits. And it's an entry point of strengthening the relationship with yourself. It's easier to make progress in the exercise world than other aspects sometimes and once you've made progress on it it makes the other things easier especially because exercise can be hard and teaches you that you're able to do something hard it gets you a little uncomfortable and then it gets you feeling better and then everything else looks a little bit easier in life so i can't stress it enough if you're not exercising find a way to incorporate it that suits you Everybody could do all the things that I mentioned. There's a version for everybody. If you don't know how to do it, ask for help. If you want someone in person, find someone local. If you want to work with me, reach out to me. Let's see if it's a good fit. In five or ten sessions, you could get a program that could last you the rest of your life. And it's fun. It can be fun. As you practice, if you really have your why ironed out and you know why you're exercising, the practice becomes very fulfilling. Joy and love of the practice will emerge if you're doing it for the right reason. It will, it will improve the quality of your life, I promise. That's it. Thanks again. I hope everybody out there has a terrific day.